We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. An amazing scene playing out at the January 6th trial of Donald Trump. I'm Matt Robeson. This is Beyond Politics, available wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, we're available on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube. I wanted to bring you a conversation that I just finished up with legendary West Virginia radio broadcaster Howard Monroe on his show this morning. And we were talking about what played out on Monday, this incredible scene in a federal courtroom where the lawyers were jousting over what the date would be for Donald Trump's January 6th trial. And of course, it's, you know, a bunch of legal wrangling, and it doesn't seem that interesting on the surface, but under the surface, it was fascinating because you really saw the legal strategies play out for both the prosecution, Trump's defense, and also for the judge. You, you could really see her thinking beginning to develop and, and be on display about how she's going to manage this unprecedented historic trial. And of course, the outcome is going to continue to have ramifications throughout the presidential campaign. And then Howard and I got into some of the other things that are going to start to play out, including the beginning of what I expect to be a cascade of 14th Amendment challenges to whether Trump can even appear on the ballot. So I hope you enjoy it. Do me a favor. If you're liking what you're hearing, just jump into uh, wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help us out. And with that, here's Howard Monroe. Time to welcome in my old friend Matt. Matt is a uh, former campaign consultant, congressional staffer, podcaster, blogger, broadcaster, and uh, and author. And he's here with us this morning. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Howard. I love your description of all the things I do. It reminds me of that skit show in Living Color from the 1990s where they had the West Indies family who had 100 jobs each. I feel like I have 100 jobs. This is great. But you do have 100 jobs. You do a podcast. You write for Newsweek and other places online. You have a broadcast. You have a video channel, Blue Amp. Blue Amp on YouTube, that's right. Yeah, so you are a, you're a pretty prolific guy and a pretty busy guy. And yet, I appreciate that you find some time to talk to us. I, over the last couple of years that you and I have talked, I've tried to bring you in every six weeks or so and talk about some of the, the big picture stories. But these days, the big picture is Donald Trump, and the stories, we're reaching a crescendo, I think, of Trump talk, and I think it's important that we have a chance to chat about these things. I find that a little disturbing, though. It reminds me of Godfather Part Two, where Corleone says to Hyman Roth, let's start seeing more of each other. Oh, no, are you going to off me? What's about to happen? No, I think Trump might off all of us is the real problem here. Yesterday was a busy day for a couple of his cases, including a court date set for next spring, in the uh, government overthrow case, basically, Trump had asked for 2006. Jack Smith had wanted January of this coming year. I won't say it split the difference, but it gave neither one what they wanted. But the judge picked March the 4th, spring of this coming year. I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't get pushed back maybe a little bit, but it seems like a reasonable solution to me. It seems reasonable, and if you read the description, the Lawfare blog is a good place to find this. You get a blow-by-blow of the arguments by both sides. It provides a fascinating preview of what we might see coming throughout the course of this trial, which is Trump's attorneys making 
not entirely insane, but definitely outlandish arguments about their needs, about how unprecedented this is, doing a little bit of grandstanding, and the judge essentially calmly, rationally, just not having it and recognizing it for what it is. And I think it it did give this whole date setting thing, did give a little bit of a preview of Trump's team is going to try all the stuff they previewed. Oh, there's a First Amendment, there's executive privilege, there's this, there's that. Maybe the Martians and the reverse vampires were involved. But this is where the rubber starts to meet the road, where you can do these things in the court of a public opinion. You can't do these things in an actual court of law because there's a judge who knows more law than you do, and she's just not having it. Yes, I agree with you. I think it may get pushed a little bit. But this was a reasonable outcome, and it's one that just advances the train toward what I'm hoping is going to be a Trump prison destination. She, prison destination, she was very, I want to say cut them off, but she's very judicial. Now, I know that Trump on Truth Social is anti-Trump, out to get me. But she's acting very judicial, holding her temper most of the time. As you point out, from what I read, several times the Trump's attorneys fell into that thinking they were in a campaign rally instead of a courtroom. And she said a couple of times, lower the temperature, guys. Lower the temperature. We're in a court of law. You're not out there on the campaign trail. She strikes me as trying very hard to be judicial. She told Trump's team and Trump himself yesterday, look, we are going to administer a court calendar. And how you get around that with your campaigning and so on is your problem. This is what we are going to do because you are a defendant in a criminal case And this is how we treat criminal defendants. I thought it was, as you said, a a pretty masterful performance. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit of a routine at home, like that old Key and Peele sketch where they had Obama's anger translator. And the idea was that, like, Obama was all cool and calm and rational. And then there was the translator, which was like, you insane idiots. Maybe she goes home and screams into a pillow at night. And I thought I detected, I don't know if you saw the same thing, a massive amount of self-awareness about the scrutiny here and the need for that judicial temperament, the need to project calm, rationality. Okay, kids, let's. I wish I had this kind of calm reserve when my kids are going absolutely It's showing me the way. I was very impressed. I wish I had that kind of calm reserve here on the radio show sometimes with some of the callers. And so I don't always hold my tongue the way I should. That brings me to a question, though, Matt. She has put that protective order in place, no inflammatory statements, no intimidating witnesses or the judge or anybody in this case. And yet he continues to certainly degrade her, if not nobody else. At some point, will she have to call him out on this? Will she have to do something about it? I don't know. I think it's possible. It really depends, to sound like Bill Clinton for a second, on what the is in that. depends on what he does. I sense that she's going to let some shenanigans go. There's going to be a lot of strategic deafness on her part. You know, when I coach soccer, I sometimes appreciate strategic deafness on the part of the referees. Because they could ding me up for all kinds of things, and she's the referee here. She's probably going to let some stuff slide by because the juice just isn't worth the squeeze on trying to police all of this stuff. It only gives ammunition. It basically gives Trump and his team what they want, which is to make political hay out of this. But there are probably lines that she will not allow to be crossed. I don't know what those are, but certainly if he 
makes a specific threat of violence against anyone here, especially a judge, I would expect her to lower the hammer on that kind of thing. I get the sense that would be highly strategic, too, not out of anger, but out of we're going to draw some very bright lines here. That said, I, I do expect a fair amount of tolerance. I, and I think she may, again, I have no inside info, this is just my best guessing, that she may tolerate some of these attacks on herself, he called her deranged and other things, if he crosses the line into intimidating witnesses or threatening mm. witnesses or even verbally insinuating a threat to a witness. That may be where the line gets drawn, but I, we'll, have to, we'll have to wait and see because I'm, I'm just not sure. I, but I think you're right. I think that she is trying. And I think Jack Smith has been trying as the prosecutor to avoid the skirmishes that could lead to political, that could become political. Just going to stick to the, the old Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am. Going to stick to the facts. Going to stick to the law. Going to stick to the, my case. She's going to stick to keeping this as confined as she possibly can inside the courtroom, as in, inside the boundaries of the legal system, and let the other stuff play out the way it can. And of course, by doing that, she is. And Trump will make this point, and he'll probably be right. She is indirectly impacting the election because I think the trial date is the day before Super Tuesday, if I remember correctly. It's going to make a difference. But she's saying, hey, I'm sorry. I'm not running for president. I'm running a courtroom. And she actually very specifically said that, which is the fact that you – she made an analogy to – Let's say you were a professional athlete. It's, oh, you've got your season to play? Okay, you're a criminal defendant now. So we don't have to accommodate that. And, in fact, the United States government in the administration of justice is not going to do that. We're not actually going to warp the entire world around. I think you're making an insightful point in general about how to handle Trump. There have been two schools of thought based in part on the Italian experience with Sir Silvio Berlusconi. How do you deal with an inflammatory demagogue, do you challenge all of the chat that they throw out, or do you let the small stuff go? And there is definitely a school of thought that you have to let the small stuff go. If you get sucked into taking that bait, then you're going to get diverted, you're going to fight all these little brush fires, right. and you're going to miss the big stuff. And I think that's good, wise counsel for Jack Smith and for this judge, and probably for Democrats. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm not sure the Democrats will as individuals or as some groups follow that as well as perhaps they should. But I think you're right. Stay focused on what's happening here and let's get to a trial and let's get to a conviction, hopefully, or to a verdict of some kind. And let's not get distracted by all the stuff around it. I asked our national correspondent, Tom Scary, last hour. I'm going to ask you. It's purely opinion. You think Trump will take the stand in his own defense in one or any of these trials? Ooh, ooh, this is a good one. Well done. I think he probably won't. I think that he is, look at his mugshot. My theory here is this is a scared, cowering little boy who really, for all of his bluster, is just compensating for the fact that 
He has no idea. The less he knows, the less confident he is, the louder he is, like all bullies. And I think when he's faced with actual danger, with actual consequences here, he is going to be afraid. And I think he is going to listen to his lawyers. His lawyers have got to know that he could create so much more trouble for himself getting tied up in the stand. A lot of their legal strategy through all of his cases, even before he was president, was to keep the man from being deposed because he could so easily perjure himself. And in this case, he could so easily do himself more legal damage or perjure himself. I would be surprised if his lawyers had any interest in him taking the stand. And I think they're going to argue vehemently against him doing so. And I think his fear will force him to take their advice. That's my prediction. I think that he will, in, in, to the depths of his soul, want to testify because he believes, look, he has already bamboozled the American people for a, a presidential term and longer. He believes that the power of his personality will convince everybody that white is black and black is white and red is blue and all that. He believes he can do that. And I think he thinks if he can sit in that docket and weave his magic, that he will win. I think his attorneys will tell him, no, sir, no, sir, no, sir, no, sir, no, sir, unless... It looks like this whole thing is lost, and they say, what the heck? It's a Hail Mary. You can't do any worse. Go for it. And I think we'll have to wait and see how the trial, whichever trial it may be, unfolds. I was reading a piece last night. I want to say Axios. I could be wrong. I was reading a piece last night that talked about the dangers that, that testifying for himself opens up for Donald Trump in terms of now he can't take the Fifth Amendment. Now he can't waive certain privileges and so on. That It would be... A lot easier. It would be a lot tougher for him to avoid a hard cross-examination if he was the one having to do it. I, I don't know. I think he will strain at the belt to get out and testify because he believes that he can do it. I can convince the. I've already convinced the people to elect me, and I'm a fool. So I, I don't know what to see. One more story from yesterday, and then I want to talk about the 14th Amendment after a break. But Mark Meadows is trying to have his case, which is tied to the Trump case, moved out of Georgia and into the federal court system. That's a pretty big deal if it happens. Testimony yesterday, including from Mark Meadows himself, no ruling, at least I didn't see a ruling come down. But that's a pretty big deal if they were to be able to get this move, that case moved out of the state court into the federal courts. It is potentially a big deal, and I think it previews – there are several issues at work here. But I think the big one, what the media is focused on is it affects where you draw the jury pool from. And are you going to get a more pro-Trump or a more – pro or anti-Trump jury pool. But I think the bigger issue here is it previews the core argument that Meadows and Trump are going to use here, which is all of these calls to the Secretary of State of Georgia, all of the efforts to pressure election officials in Georgia, they are part of the official duties of the staff and of the President of the United States. They are official acts that are well within the parameters of what the President is entitled to do. That is their core legal argument here. And if they prevail in this, what's been called a mini-trial, and get the case moved to federal court, then they might stand a decent chance of those arguments holding up and providing some defense for Trump here. If they do not prevail, then it goes in the other direction. It's a preview of the fact that those arguments are not going to hold much water, and that leads to a much less effective 
defense for Trump and Meadows and all the rest of these people. And the other issue is that there's a lot of concern that were he to get through the election and be elected president, I'm not sure that could happen, but if he gets elected president, he would have a lot more ability to manipulate what happens to himself. I'm not sure that the issue of pardoning himself is one that would come in, but he could manipulate the Justice Department at the federal level to, to get himself out of a lot of trouble. So if some of this moves to the federal system, it becomes easier for him to manipulate that. And I guess, as you, you alluded to, the issue of color of your office becomes a bigger deal at the federal level. If you can claim you were doing this, especially Mark Meadows, who was a staffer, not the president, if you can claim you were doing this as chief of staff, whether it was right or wrong, you were doing it in your official capacities. There's some protection there. So it does, it's a pretty big deal whether they move it to federal court or not. And I don't have any sense of that yet. I just don't know what's likely to happen there. Nor do I. And, of course, it does evoke the Nuremberg defense, which was I was just following orders and I just broke one of the cardinal rules of politics, which is never referred to Nazi Germany in any kind of a metaphor because it never goes well. But I, I don't know that it's a fully effective defense to say I was acting in official capacity. I was just following you as the President of the United States. But it does provide some shield that there is, as you say, the potential to perform actions that are part of the duties of the office. That's Meadows' central tentpole of his defense. And yeah, if they move the trial, then that suggests that defense is going to be at least partially effective here. Now, the question that is being raised by some is, does it make any difference whether he has a trial? He, should he be automatically disqualified from holding office because of parts of the 14th Amendment? We're talking now, Matt, about this whole concept of the 14th Amendment. The Section 3 of the 14th Amendment says a public official was not eligible to assume public office if they, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States or had given aid and comfort to the enemy. There is, I won't say a huge number, but there is a growing number, there are a growing, there is a growing number of scholars who are suggesting the 14th Amendment may just come into play here with Donald Trump. That's right. This got kicked off when a pair of ultra-conservative legal scholars, and I need to emphasize this, that these are very conservative Federalist Society, for your listeners who know who those folks are, Federalist Society legal scholars. One of them helped found the Federalist Society, okay? We're talking about the farthest right of right-wing legal scholars. They have argued in a new legal piece, it's 100 pages, it's really worth reading, that, yes, not only does the 14th Amendment come into play here, and that's something people have talked about for a while, that Trump, by leading an insurrection, which he did, is not eligible to hold office. And in fact, we've seen the 14th Amendment invoked already for some of the people who participated in the But their legal argument, and this is the critical thing here, is that it's self-executing. What that means is we don't need to have a finding of criminal culpability here. We don't need a conviction that secretaries of state can, on their own authority, determine that he is ineligible to appear on the ballot, and they can remove him from the ballot. And in fact, as we talk right now, fresh this morning, literally, I guess, published late last night, there is a feud erupting in New Hampshire that we are going to talk about with our New Hampshire political experts on my show, Beyond Politics, former Congressman Paul Hodes of New Hampshire, and a conservative political consultant, Alicia Preston, with whom I wrote a Newsweek article last week. We're about to talk about this in just a few minutes and get the inside scoop on this, because in New Hampshire, Republicans have erupted into a feud 
because a formerly pro-Trump Senate candidate has filed with the Secretary of State to keep Trump off the ballot. And so the point is, this is going to happen. This is is already starting to happen in the states. That's an important point of this whole process. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Again, let's begin with the 14th Amendment. Invoking the 14th Amendment does not require any kind of criminal conviction. It can, ease, it can be done by state elections officials, and ordinary citizens can file challenges on the same grounds with the state election officials if they choose to. It sounds like that's what's happening in New Hampshire. you got people saying, wait a minute, this needs to be dealt with, whether or not the Secretary of State chooses to move forward with it on his own, his or her own. I don't know who your Secretary of State is, but his or her own. But but a citizen says, no, let's get this going. But let's talk, i only got a few minutes here now, but let's talk this through. What happens? All right, so you have a handful of states that say, okay, he's not eligible. What happens? Okay, what's so he's not on the ballot in certain states? Does that just take away his electoral college count or what? I think a few things happen, and this is really tricky. And I think, all right, here's what we can assume. Let's play the movie. One, he doesn't appear on the primary ballot. So he's not eligible to get, let's say this happens, right? He doesn't appear on the primary ballot, which means he's not eligible to get the the delegates in the Republican primary contest right. from those states. Will that matter in terms of the nomination? Given his current lead, which is approximately 35 points as of today, according to the 538 polling averages, it probably won't, but just remember that these are a primary contests, nomination contests, are a delegate race. It's not a polling race. It's a delegate race. Correct. And so it could matter. It depends on how many states and where. Oh, that's one consequence. The other consequence, and this is what worries me, is that if you read the rest of the 14th Amendment, it refers to giving aid and comfort to enemies of the Constitution and those who have sought to undermine the Constitution. And so... What's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. And my concern here is this is going to happen, right? Already, and remember, the guy who brought this challenge in New Hampshire is a Republican. He's a Republican lawyer, Corky Mesmer. He ran for the U.S. Senate with Trump's endorsement in 2020. And so this is going to happen. There are going to be Republican yahoos who are going to file the exact same motions about President Biden. And they're going to say, you know what? He's failed to enforce the border laws or some crap like that. And therefore, he has undermined the Constitution. He is ineligible to appear on the ballot. By the way, this is not that outlandish in Republican circles. This is the exact same set of grounds that Republican members of the U.S. House of Representatives were trying to impeach Secretary Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security. So it's not a novel argument for Republicans, and it only takes – a handful of Republican secretaries of state to say, yep, we agree with this. We're keeping the president of the United States off the ballot, and you have a real mess on your mess. hands. So, yeah, yep. that, that unfortunately yeah. is not out of – is by no means out of the question at all. And I guess there is a fail-safe in this, too, I should point out, that the 14th Amendment – says that two-thirds of Congress can override anybody's decision to do that. So there's a congressional fallback on, on this as well. What's your best guess? Again, I keep asking for best guesses because none of us know. Well, there, well, you said in New Hampshire there's going to be there's at least an effort being made. Do you think there will be – is there a shot that he will not be on certain ballots? What's your best guess? 
Howard, this is the most important issue. I hate predictions because they're sure to be wrong, which is why I like to do a segment on my show, predictions that are sure to go wrong. I predict that this is going to be the topic that you and I talk about. As we start to see more of each other, you and I are going to be talking about this in two months. Because this is going to be a super hot topic, and people should start to pay attention now. Because there's really not a way, not only to put toothpaste back in the tube, but to keep the toothpaste in the tube in the first place. As you said, it only takes a handful of enterprising people in the states to bring these kinds of challenges. And each state is going to evaluate on their own. right? Yeah, but as you said, it could work both ways. And I never even thought about that, but you're absolutely right. I could easily see if this gets any momentum going, then I could see. And frankly, in states like West Virginia, where the Secretary of State who I just like personally is just a looney tune right winger. I was talking about CIA plots over the government just this past week. I could see him buying into the we better try to keep Trump off or keep Biden off the ballot too. Yeah, I mean, I, I never thought about that. That's a real distinct possibility. Matt, once again, we're out of time. I got to run. As I said at the beginning of the segment, I suspect we'll be talking more frequently than we used to as this Trump story reaches its crescendo, whatever that crescendo may be. And uh, I'll be talking to you again soon. All right, appreciate it. All right, thanks.